0: Hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 275 of Sustainable Minimalists. On today's show, we are discussing how on earth we as human beings can manage the stress, the anxiety, the numbness, the depression, the anger that we may likely be feeling after the shooting at Robb Elementary School in which 19 children and two teachers were murdered. We're also discussing specifically in the second part of today's conversation how the parents listening can best help their children navigate the news headlines and the state of America in 2022 in which mass shootings are indeed commonplace. To help me discuss these very important topics is licensed psychotherapist, Lena Derhali. She is also the author of The Facebook Narcissist, and she's on the show today to give us some perspective as to what feelings are normal, what feelings may perhaps need some professional help, and how on earth we as parents can help our children if we are also struggling. Lena, really thrilled to talk to you today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. Again, thank you for coming on. It has been a difficult two weeks for me, for humanity, and especially for the parents listening. I know I personally can't look at the faces of those 19 beautiful children without bursting into tears, and here we are nearly two weeks later. And so I want to talk to you today about the ways in which people can navigate this time in America so, before we get into all of that, tell us, Lena, who you are. Tell us what you do. And let's infuse a little bit of silliness into this conversation because it's such a heavy one. Tell us who you are, what you do, and your favorite television show. My name's Lena
1: Durhalli. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I see a lot of couples who do some family work as well. And everything's just about cultivating healthy and productive relationships. I'm also uh, an author. I have two books out. The first is A True Crime, and the second is called The Facebook Narcissist. It's about social media, and it's a, a cultural critique and asks the question, is social media making us as a culture more narcissistic? And what is it doing to kids who now have to grow up with it? I think I always say I was born in the 1980s. And I'm so glad and my friends are also glad that we didn't have to navigate this kind of thing as tweens and teens. I'm really interested in exploring issues of relationally again, and especially as they relate to narcissism, which is entitlement and lack of empathy. So TV, I actually, disclosure, I don't watch too much TV, but I do have a series that I love and shouldn't come as a surprise since I just said I wrote true crime and I talk about narcissism a lot. It's uh, You with Penn Badgley. It's a satirical series uh, about a psychopath. But the last season three, I really enjoyed because it was actually He's Now a Father, and I'm a parent as well of elementary school age children. So this topic we're talking about today is very relevant to me
0: as well. I've seen the show. I've seen season one. Highly recommend it if anybody's interested in a dark satire. (laughs) But my first question for you today, Lena, is... How can a parent know when it's time to go see a professional to help them deal with their feelings of stress, fear, anxiety, whatever the feeling is as it relates to current events and specifically the shooting at Robb Elementary School? I
1: think that's a good question. And the first word that comes into my mind is overwhelmed. When something feels really overwhelming, especially if it starts to interfere with how you function in your life and how pervasive it is and how long lasting it is. So if we're going on two weeks now since this particular shooting, although it just feels, I think, ongoing trauma for so many of us, because it's not just this one shooting, although as parents, this is probably the most traumatic since Sandy Hook. And I I myself, just last week, I dropped my son. Off at school. And in particular, I was very anxious that day because we're in Washington, D.C., and he was going on a field trip to the National Mall. And my first thought as I dropped him at school was, What if there's an active shooter on the National Mall? And I felt my eyes welling up with tears and feeling that like anxiety response in my body. And I just thought, This isn't normal. This is not normal for parents to have that be their first thought. Either when they're dropping their kids off at school or there's something like a field trip where, you know, where we feel like we can't protect our children anymore. And so I also want to normalize the fact that it's actually normal to still have these feelings of anxiety weeks out. But I I think just in general, it's so nice to have extra support to talk to someone. And so it may just be that. You know, I'm just a little more anxious than usual and it's not enough just to talk to friends or a partner or family anymore. I'm just to have that extra support. But in general, I think it's good no matter what the circumstance, but I definitely think if you're having nightmares, if you're feeling out of control, if every day you're feeling This pervasive sense of anxiety about your kids being at school or going to a grocery store, going to a movie theater, that might be an indication that you might want to talk to somebody who's a professional.
0: Thank you for mentioning your anxiety response when you dropped your child off, because just yesterday I brought my family, my husband and my children into Boston, into a crowded area. And my first thought was to look around and see if anything didn't seem right to me. I was taking myself effectively out of the moment, out of enjoying the fun, beautiful, sunny day in Boston with my family because I was always on edge looking for some unseen potential threat. You argue that we should validate our feelings and honor them and not try to push them down. As a parent who is navigating uncertain times, I don't know which feelings are actually normal and should be validated or ones that are now going into the realm of abnormal. So I know you mentioned nightmares, you mentioned overwhelm. Can you talk to me more about what would be an adequate or quote unquote normal response to um, these mass school shootings? Yeah, and I think generally, there's actually a wide
1: variation of normal responses. And I don't think there's necessarily a right way to respond. I know that some people have talked about actually feeling numb. And they're judging that response, because they're like, I should be feeling something, but I'm I'm feeling numb. And, you know, I think that's been a normal response for parents who are like, wow, I feel so hopeless. I feel so helpless. I'm shutting down now. And so that shutdown, that numbness is actually a protective mechanism. And I think that's a quite a normal response. Uh, And some people might push back on that response. and oh, you should be angry, you should be outraged. That's how we're going to change things. And and there's truth in that as well. But I also want to say that if people are feeling a bit shut down, or immobilized, or just like, it's also because we haven't been given much motivation to feel hopeful. Every time something happens. We're just totally immobilized by this powerful gun lobby. Anybody who has any ideas or wants advocacy for any type of gun control, even extended background checks, it's like it's shut down. And so I think that's a normal response. I think feeling just a little bit anxious and not even being fully aware of it, like you may actually feel in your body that you're dropping your kids off at school and it may not be in the forefront of your mind. Like I said, I was like, oh, is there going to be an active shooter on the field trip? It may just be a slight feeling of unease when you're dropping your kids off at school, and you may not be fully aware of that. And different people are bringing different past histories to this type of response. And so it also, I, I come from a trauma-informed perspective. And I feel like once you reach a certain age, most people have some form of trauma just by the definition of shaking our sense of safety and trust in the world and changing that fundamentally. And we, whether that was developmental trauma or a specific incident that happened to us. But I just think general feelings of sadness, avoidance, like you mentioned, not looking at the pictures or reading about the children, I think those are all very normal responses.
0: When should we be turning off the news? When should we be shutting down social media? When should we be pausing and, you know, taking a break from the barrage of misery in mm-hmm. the headlines?
1: And that's exactly what it is. It's a barrage of misery. And I have a degree and one of my degrees is in communications and media studies. And one of the first things I learned in grad school was that everything in media is fear-based because it sells. And that's not a secret. And that's why we have clickbait. Everything is to get clicks. Everything is to sell. And fear is what sells. And sensationalism is what sells. And now we're in this type of lifestyle where we have All this information being thrown at us 24-7 on our phones, everywhere we go. And the human brain, our brains are not evolved to adapt to that much information and this much scary and negative information coming at us. And I don't know how much of it is actually that helpful in terms of, I don't think we need to consume these large amounts of it in order to be informed. I think there's other ways to be active and to help and be informed without being consumed with the media. And so maybe you shut down from the media, but you donate. One of my favorite organizations is Sandy Hook Promise. I know a lot of people, like every town, and there's a lot of different great organizations. Or maybe you allow yourself 10 minutes a day to read about current events as they're relating to this shooting, But generally, I think people know themselves. And I have lots of friends who are just, it evokes so much of a response in them to read about these children and these teachers that it overwhelms them to sobs, uncontrollable sobs. And at that point, you have to take care of yourself. You have to step away from that. It is too much for a lot of us.
0: You mentioned donations there. And that brings me to my question about action. This podcast is my form of, climate action actually i when i first had kids and i was becoming more aware of the environmental issues that would directly affect their futures i didn't feel as though shutting down the news and turning off social media and effectively you know covering my hands with my ears was the best response for me. And so that's how I turn to action in the form of this podcast action in the form of hopefully, fingers crossed, educating others. Can you talk to me about the importance of action as it relates to healing? Yeah, I think that is it's the number one form
1: of healing, in my opinion. I think what people get tripped up on is they think it has to be this huge action. And that's where we feel hopeless. We don't think these little kind of small things that we do to contribute are meaningful, but I think everything we're looking at from, like you said, climate change to anti-racism to all these types of activism, anything we can do, that's what helps us feel a little bit better and more in control. Anxiety is all about feeling out of control that we can't do anything, but there are a lot of things that we can do. And I think the best thing we can do in these situations is channeling sadness and anger into action and finding an action that makes the most sense for you. And so while those may not be like these, I'm not going to change the world with any of this, it's still something that makes me feel like I'm contributing to the solution instead of the problem.
0: Yes, you had mentioned the power of the gun lobby earlier. This is my little way to fight back against the power of the fossil fuels industry, I suppose. I'm just one person. But doing something, whether it makes a difference or not, it makes me feel better and it makes me go to bed a little bit easier and it reduces a little bit of my anxiety. So if that's the only good that comes out of action, then I'm going to keep doing it every single day because at the end of the day, I can, again, sleep a little better. So we're going to take a quick break, Lena, but when we come back, I want to ask you a couple questions on what should we be saying how should we be talking to our children about what happened at Rob Elementary School? So we're going to get into that after a quick break. If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. coastofmaine.com And we are back with Lena Darhali. She is a licensed psychotherapist and the author of The Facebook Narcissist. Lena, before the break, we were talking about our response as adults, as humans, as people who are experiencing trauma every time we turn on the news. But for our second part of today's conversation, I'd love to speak directly to the parents, to the listeners listening who have children. Perhaps their children are asking questions. My children, I should say, are not because they're young. However, I do know that my eight-year-old practices active shooter drills at school, so she might not be asking me any questions, but active shooting drills and mass shootings are a way of life for kids in public schools these days. How should we be navigating that and them? Should we be bringing it up? What should we be saying? help me out. Yeah, I think that's and again it's so
1: individual and it depends on the child and as I'm thinking about this, I I have a 7 and a 9-year-old who practice active shooter drills and my 9-year-old in particular, he's falls on the more anxious side just generally, like he is he worries a lot. And so there's a constant for me it's constant trying to make him feel safe, as safe as possible. And so for, the, for this particular situation, I did not want to talk to him about it because I, if he didn't hear about it, he, he would come to me if he did. And I'll, I'll put that with the context that he was actually in a real lockdown drill a few weeks ago because a lot of people don't know about this. It really wasn't major national news, but we had a school shooting at a high school, private high school here in Washington, D.C., where, again, it was somewhat in 18 or early, early 20s. He got some guns from Northern Virginia, rented an apartment, and had assault r- rifles and was spraying bullets from a window into the high school at pickup. And we actually, you know, have friends who attend that school, but nobody died. There were injuries, but nobody died, so it wasn't. It didn't again really make the news. But while that had happened, my son was after school at doing a flag football game with friends, and thankfully my husband was with him. But they locked down all the close by schools. And so they were told there's an active shooter. You have to go in the gym. And so there, there was a lot of chaos around that because this was the first time where it's not a drill. This is an active shooter lockdown. And my son was terrified. And he's terrified actually when they do the drills. And there was a, a drill he had where he thought it was real because security came and jiggled the door handle to make sure the doors were locked, but he wasn't prepared for that. And so again, he came home and told me how scared he was because he thought an active shooter was coming in. And so in those situations, so I'm starting with my oldest because he is an anxious child and he worries a lot. And so for him in particular, I really try to be very gentle and careful with what I say. And so when the actual lockdown happened, I reassured him by saying, well, it's really good that they locked down all the surrounding schools because they're being extra cautious to be safe. And so they're really making sure that you're safe. And it was very unlikely that happened, you know, 30 minute walk from you. And so you were safe, but we are, we want to just validate that in that situation, like these drills and things like that, it's unlikely to happen because that is true. It is rare in the grand scheme of things. It's not rare enough, unfortunately, but it is rare enough where we can say, you know, it's unlikely that's going to happen. And every, all the adults, are doing everything they can to keep you safe. I don't like to lie. I got a email from our kids school giving the talking points of how we talk to children about it. And one of them was reassure our children that they're safe. And I know myself and a lot of parents were like, no, we can't do that. We don't know that. And so I like to just frame it more as this is really unlikely and the adults are doing everything they can to protect you. And that's why we have all these measures in place. So I think generally, honesty, and just knowing your child, my daughter who's seven is less anxious than my son. And so she's not going to have nightmares about this and things like that. And then again, we can talk to her. Yeah, this happened. And again, validate all your children's feelings about it. And you can even say, yeah, it's scary for me too. But then qualify that with, I know that as adults and the adults around you and your teachers and everybody who loves you, we're doing everything we can to make sure that this doesn't happen and that it's unlikely to happen.
0: Yeah. I don't even know if in 2022, it's even possible to completely shield or protect our kids from this alarming new reality we're in. As of this recording, there have been 18 mass shootings in America so far in 2022 alone. And a mass shooting by the definition of the gun violence archive is one that has resulted in four people either dying or being wounded. So 18 mass shootings doesn't even account for all the other shootings that have happened in the first six months of 2022 with three or less victims. And so I guess my point there is that we can't completely shield our kids from something that is just so prevalent, so part of daily life in this country at this moment in time. I wanted to ask you, though, also about routines and rhythms and schedules. I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe it's important to create and maintain, would be a better word, maintain a sense of normalcy. So doing the same things you've always done in your home, the chores keep getting done, (laughs) the soccer practice still gets attended. Should we be changing our lives in response to a tragedy such as the one we're discussing today? Or should we keep on keeping on to create that sense of normalcy for our children?
1: Yeah, I think for our children, it's so important, especially after this pandemic of two years where there has been a lot of upheaval for children, we really need to create, continue that normalcy and that structure. And after that flag football practice my son had where he had to go into lockdown Next week we put him back in and that was just to show him that it's okay to keep doing, you know, we also don't want to shut down completely. And we want, I wanted to model for him that like, we just, we keep st- sticking with our structures and our routines. And I do think it's good to shield them from as much of the gory details as possible. And, and maybe again, that looks like having a balanced conversation with, okay, if this is what you should do, if you encounter this, because that's the reality But balancing that, again, with keeping up with our normal routines, because kids, we can't put this on them either, this fear and all of this. It is really important that kids grow up feeling that normalcy and that structure and that safety. And so I think that to your point, that's a really good thing to try to continue to do. And I think back to the beginning of asking, when should someone look at seeking more professional help about anxiety and things like this? One of the things I try... um, to be conscious of is that a lot of anxiety was placed on me as a child sometimes. And I think it wasn't intentional. It was to protect me. It, so I there was a lot of stories of wear a seatbelt when you get in the car, never go swimming alone because there's all these horror stories of what could happen to you. And I grew up having a lot of anxiety around things like go on an airplane or getting in a car without my seatbelt. So I'm a very cautious, risk-averse person when it comes to things like that. And I've actually made a promise to myself that I don't want that to be put onto my children. And so I think think it's really important that we, again, as parents, try to maintain that safe space for our children and try to be as calm as possible. That doesn't mean not showing emotion, because I think it is important to model emotion. You know, I think if we're getting to a point where we feel like we can't be a safe space for our kids, or we're losing control, or they're really absorbing a lot of our anxiety, that actually would be a good indication to maybe get some extra help of managing that anxiety. I mean, again, I just keep wanting to go back to normalizing how dystopian and awful this is, that it's not normal where anybody can get these death weapons, they can just kill so many people in a minute or less than a minute. And it's not normal, we should feel all the feelings. And again, all those feelings are normal, whether it's rage Whether it's deep sadness and hopelessness or numbness, I hope that in some way, even if we do feel numb, it inspires us to take some kind of action, whatever makes sense to us. Because at the end of the day, we just have to continue to stay hopeful, even in the face of the adversity and and claim as much power as we have as
0: individuals. I was talking to somebody in my life about... How there's so much in this world for me to be depressed about and sad over. And his response was that there is so much more good in the world than there is bad. And at the time, I think I probably rolled my eyes and said, yeah, whatever. You're so out of touch. But his words stuck with me. There is more good in the world than there is bad. And I am clutching to that goodness today and always Thank you so much. I'm glad that we can have this
1: conversation and I hope
0: that it helps people. Listeners, I have linked to Lena Derhali, her book, her website, her social media in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 275. Now I know I told you we were gonna talk about eggs. We will talk about eggs. We're gonna get to those next week. I will see you next week. Reach out to me if you need me or if you just wanna say hi. I'll see you on Tuesday and take care.